0: I'm Dr. Hillary McBride. Let me take you where microphones rarely go, into my therapy office. It's where my clients hurt, heal, and ultimately thrive. You're going to hear private conversations that we rarely ever have with ourselves, let alone share with others. Welcome to Other People's Problems. Maybe along the way you'll discover that other people's problems are a lot like your own. Season 3 is out now. Subscribe on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is a CBC Podcast. I said, do you know who did it? And he said, we have a very good idea who the responsible person was.
2: Uncover, bomb on board. Investigating the biggest unsolved mass murder in Canada, CP Flight 21. Get the Uncover Podcast for free on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Available now.
1: Hey, before we start the show, I have a personal recommendation. If you like Love Me, I think you might also love Strangers by Leah Tao. Strangers is a storytelling show where Leah profiles people in a really deep way. She'll only do stories with people who will submit to complete emotional honesty. And she responds in kind, super intimate and raw. Leah's approach has a way of really sucking you in. To hear strangers, go to storycentral.org or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just a heads up that today's episode has some language that might not be appropriate for all listeners. I like using puns a lot because
2: I want to try to make friends and maybe find romantic interests who might tolerate me
1: for more than five minutes. <laughs> so Tracy, what is it about puns that makes them good for making friends? We're making, you know, more than friends.
2: I do have a lot of trouble talking to girls because in any other way of casual conversation, I don't really know how to break the ice. So if I could fire one at somebody, say like, um, I don't know, I wish we were shoelaces so we could be naughty together. (laughs) Something like that. And if it doesn't work out, I can, you know, pull out and say, well, it was just a joke. Okay, I'll be seeing you. Bye.
1: And has it ever worked in terms of picking someone up?
2: Not really. I'd say for the most part, whenever I use it on girls, they're just like, oh, that's cute. And that's pretty sweet of you. I'm like, no, I'm actually serious. Aww. I'm really waiting for one day. My ideal reaction is somebody firing them back at me and firing them so fast that probably I wouldn't be able to keep up. And th- that would be the perfect person. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: Be like, wow, is this where my single status will end?
1: I have to tell you, I have a friend, and she met her girlfriend through puns. Oh, man. And they got married a year or two ago, so it totally worked. Well, that's impressive, and I want to do that. (laughs) Well, in that case, you're going to need to uh, keep practicing. (laughs) What other puns you got? I don't know if this one is a pun, but hey...
2: Are you my appendix? Because I don't understand what you do, but this feeling in my stomach makes me want to take you out. (laughs) (laughs) Got one. Hey, are you a bank loan? Because you've got my interest. Oh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you can call me Shrek because I'm head ogre heels for you. <laughs> oh, you're killing me here. I, I love it. Well, is your name Wi-Fi? Because I'm feeling connection. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, please stop. Please it's mostly stop. just me
2: cracking up my own jokes. <laughs> it's great. I can't believe you really use these. Some people don't like them, but I'm saying, hey, I'm going to issue another few punishments for you. Just
1: stop. <laughs> From CBC Original Podcasts, this is Love Me. A show about the messiness of human connection. I'm Lou. Today's episode, I'm on your scent.
0: You're really ugly. Your friends secretly don't like you. You try so hard, but people see through it. No one will ever want to date you. Sorry, but we thought someone should let you know. When I was in grade 10... I signed on to Facebook one day and I saw that I had a notification from this application called Honesty Box. It's this application where you can send anonymous messages to any of your friends. And I clicked on it. There was a whole series of messages there from a bunch of girls in my grade. They said really horrible, cruel things about me. The sort of things that no one would ever say to your face. Someone should let you know. I felt physically ill. I just closed the computer, willing it to go away. After I finished high school, I decided I wanted to go traveling. I felt like I could leave my insecure high school self Far behind me. And that's when I met Jay. We met on a pub crawl in Barcelona and decided to go on a hitchhiking adventure together. He had these big blue eyes. He was always really enthusiastic about everything. He was always writing in this journal, which seemed so profound and dramatic to me. It was like he had more thoughts and ideas than he knew what to do with. We were sleeping, sometimes without sleeping bags, on the side of the road, or like we kind of just were hitchhiking and stopping wherever and would have these dark night, eye-gazy conversations where we would talk about our childhoods. He had had this really rough upbringing and like I remember there were like several times where he would talk about things and then get like really deeply sad and I would feel so close to him in those moments because I was like you're sharing your deep sadness with me. I remember talking to my dad on Skype and telling him that I thought we were going to get married. (laughs) After a couple of weeks of traveling together we were helping out on this farm in the south of France. One night, we were lying in bed, and I was looking into his eyes, and he was looking into mine, and I kept feeling this itch to tell him. I just blurted it out. I said, I love you. He kind of looked at me, and and then he kissed me. But he didn't say it back. When I woke up, he was not in the room anymore. His diary was lying right beside the bed and it had a pen in it and it wasn't there the previous night. I could hear the shower going across the hall. I was like, should I should I look at it? And I was like, No, I shouldn't I shouldn't read it. That's his private thing. But I had this nagging feeling. I was like what if he wrote about last night? Maybe he was just too shy to say he loved me back. I peered over the bed and I opened it up. And it was just this quickly scrawled entry and it said, Jess told me she loved me last night. Jess is so naive. Yes, it's, so naive. it's way too soon. She has no idea what love really means. She has no idea what love really really means. After kind of spending a few minutes recovering and putting it back exactly how I'd found it so he wouldn't notice, kind of brushed myself off and got changed and went right into the bathroom where he was showering. And he didn't hear me come in. And then I I said his name, and he poked his head out. I was like, you know, I was thinking a lot about what I said yesterday, and I've realized that it's too soon to tell you that I love you. I have really strong feelings for you, but it's too soon to talk about love. I just wanted to clarify. He pulled the curtain back further, and he smiled like he approved. So after that, we kept on traveling, and I would read his diary every once in a while. He wrote that I was daring and beautiful and smart, and when I read those, I felt like I was doing exactly what I should be doing. and. That I could embrace myself fully. It was the end of summer, and I was about to start university. We decided that he was going to come back to Toronto with me. And once he got there, things just weren't the same at all. He had no money, and straight up living in my dorm room he seemed to be growing distant but he wasn't really communicating with me about actually what was going on and one day I opened up the diary again he had written Toronto is really boring I shouldn't have come here I don't know what to do I felt like if he didn't like Toronto then he would leave me. So I started kind of trying to push the envelope to make Toronto special. Somehow I like got the keys to the top of the main building at the university so we went onto the roof and like smoked a joint. And one time we hitchhiked downtown then we had sex in a public park and I felt like it was actually working. He seemed to be a bit happier for a while. But I started to run out of ideas and get bogged down with all the deadlines that I had at university. And he would spend the whole day writing in his journal and getting high in the park and come back to my room and just want to go to sleep. I was feeling so deeply guilty at having been reading this diary that I couldn't focus on basically anything else. At the same time, I felt like the journal was the only way that I could find out what he was really feeling. And I was getting more and more obsessed with it. Every time he left the room, even to go to the washroom, I would like dash open it, scan the page, running my finger down the page for my name, see it, see what it said beside it, see if there was any advice I could take from it, and then close it with my heart beating and act like nothing had happened. He wrote that I was wearing him out with all my talking, so I said to myself, okay, I will talk half as much tomorrow. I'll speak when spoken to, and I'll just be a mysterious, silent monk He wrote that I wasn't meeting his needs sexually and so I forced myself to have more sex even if it was painful or if I wasn't in the mood. He wrote that I was immature and too dependent on my parents so I stopped returning their calls. Jess, it's mom. Give me a call back, okay? I'm calling again. I hope everything's okay, okay? So call me back. Where are you? Please call. One day I read an entry and he had written about this woman that he had met the previous night and he wrote about how she was beautiful and had red hair and how she was really sexy and he wrote Jess is a girl but one day I'll date a woman. So I dyed my hair bright red. And I bought a sexy dress and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll reveal myself to him and it was going to be his birthday. So I thought this is an opportunity for me to show him I could be the woman of his dreams. I made a reservation at a fancy restaurant. So we were eating and we were barely saying anything to each other because both of us were in our own worlds. Then he just looked up at me and said, I feel like we don't have anything to say to each other anymore. And I panicked, and I thought, maybe if I just tell him about the diary, then it will set a reset button, and it will all be okay, and we can start over, and he'll forgive me, and everything will be fine. And so I I just told him. He was furious, and... He left and I never saw him again. After he left, I locked myself in my dorm room. I was so angry at myself. I had proven that I wasn't trustworthy. But somehow, without the diary telling me what to do anymore, I could think a little more clearly. I started thinking more and more about the fact that he wasn't really being trustworthy either. He was being two different people. There was the person he was to my face, and the person who said what he really thought in his diary. And when I realized that, I just felt this huge release. I cut my hair, short, which I'd always wanted to do, and I started calling my parents again because I actually really liked talking to them. I guess I just stopped caring about who anyone's ideal woman was and started asking myself, who do I want to be? I don't date people with diaries. My current partner, when I told her about this first relationship was like, you can read anything if you want. And that made me feel really relieved because I was like, this person has nothing to hide. (laughs)
3: Monday, July 17th, 9 a.m., Buffalo Central Station. Smells of urine, marble, damp potato chips, sweat. The sweat is Gregor's. He says it's because he's hot, but to me he smells nervous. Since getting pregnant, I've developed a crazy sense of smell, and I can tell the difference between hot and nervous. Why are you nervous? I ask him. But he ignores me. He's busy texting his illustrator. I looked her up online. She has buck teeth that come out of her mouth horizontally, but otherwise she's pretty. If I see her when we're in New York, I'll offer her an apple, just to see how she eats it. Gregor trimmed his beard and eyebrows before we left. He probably did it for her. 12 p.m. Amtrak to New York City. Chalky smell of air conditioning and cellophane-wrapped honey buns. The train car was full of blind high school students when we got on this morning. They were so pale, but wearing sunglasses. They got off at Batavia, holding onto each other's elbows like some beautiful long snake. I actually started to cry. I blame the hormones, but still, Gregor is stroking my hair with one hand and writing notes all over his manuscript with his other hand. I haven't read it yet, but I hope it's less hostile than his last book, in which a neurotic bunny rabbit with all of my facial features gave up on her dreams and became an ant pile. 10pm. Airbnb, Brooklyn. Right across from where we used to live. Smell of warm dust and a rubber air mattress. I vomited out the window of the taxi on the way here. Something about the smell of gasoline mixed with cologne on the duct tape seats. The driver almost kicked us out of his car, so I told him. I'm pregnant. He's the first person we've told. We were waiting for it to be more definite, I guess. Tuesday, 9 a.m., Airbnb. Smell of stale breath and a rubber air mattress. Gregor woke me up before he left for his meeting with the potential publisher. His agent said if he doesn't sell the manuscript today, it doesn't look good. And since his last book didn't sell, this could be it. The end of his career. I'm meeting him for lunch in Midtown. I offered to wait for him in the publisher's lobby and look extra-pregnant but he just laughed. Suit yourself, I said, but nobody likes a childless children's book author, especially not a bearded one. 11 a.m. Smell of hot linoleum and a rubber air mattress. Went back to sleep, woke up with the shitty air mattress deflated almost completely, my spine on the floor but my arms elevated. I feel like a ghost summoned to a seance. Am I a ghost? I can't smell myself. I've asked Gregor what I smell like, but he has no sense of smell. He's hoping this smell journal is an art project, that it's a way to ease myself back into the art world. I don't know what it is, but it's not that. Fuck the art world. I'd rather be a pregnant ghost. 12:30 p.m. Gowanus Canal. Smell of exhaust, algae, petrochemicals. I finally got myself out of the apartment. I've ended up on 9th Street Bridge. By the railing, two Hasidic boys are throwing rocks down at something. "A baby whale," a reporter says into a microphone. "Below, in the oily water, I see a shiny fin, a tail. A striated belly. The whale is not much bigger than me. It's frantic among the bottles and plastic bags. Streams of gray, soapy water shoot out from its blowhole. Someone behind me is explaining how the whale needs to be herded back out into the ocean using high-pitched sounds. Jesus Christ. All of us watching a baby whale die in the Gowanus Canal. This is exactly what it was like when we lived here. 1.30 p.m., library. Smell of books, pencil shavings, beef barley soup. Killing time at the library because Gregor postponed our meetup. My sandals are squishing because a man on the subway spilled his lunch on me. I had to get off the train early because I started dry heaving. I walked the rest of the way here with wet feet. I found a copy of Gregor's Sleep Dancers in the kids section. I forgot about this book, with my illustrations and everything. It's about a family of sleepwalkers that doesn't get along when they're awake, but does fun and loving activities together when they're asleep. It's based on when we were both taking Ambien. Loosely based, that is, since we weren't getting along in our sleep either. Hmm, that book was our only collaboration. 2pm. Smell of Caesar dressing, iced tea, lavender perfume. Gregor is in a foul mood. He's sitting across the table from me tugging at his beard. The meetings have not gone well. You smell like lavender perfume, I say. He shrugs. New York feels like a phantom limb, he says. He doesn't know what possessed us to leave. He says that if we had stayed, he wouldn't have lost his publisher. He cannot fathom going back to Buffalo. He hates my uncle for leaving us that house. What possessed us to leave? I keep repeating, you can't remember what possessed us to leave? He says I'm the only person who gets broken by success. Who gets on the cover of Art in America and then cries every day and gets a real estate license? He says I'm setting the child up for failure that the child is already feeling defeated, even as a zygote. But he says it still has a chance if we move back here. I could use my license to sell that house, or no, better, we could burn down the house and my license and come back home. He says I could stop wasting my time. I could start painting again. Gregor says a bird and a fish can love each other, but where would they live? 3 p.m. Central Park. Smell of grass. I'm surrounded by blurry children on roller skates. I beached myself behind the duck pond and cried until I lost a contact. It's too disorienting to see out of only one eye, so I took the other contact out, and now the world is softer and more manageable. After I left the lunch place, I hid behind a street cart in a cloud of smoky meat, The illustrator and her teeth were sitting on a planter outside the restaurant, pretending to read a book. I watched the way Gregor sat down next to her, the way he looked up and down the street as she leaned her head against his shoulder and he breathed in the scent of her hair. They disappeared into a nearby office building and I kept standing there, frozen as the falafel line streamed on around me, her lavender perfume carrying on the wind. 10 p.m. Subway smells like piss and hot metal. Now that we're above ground, my phone keeps buzzing. It's Gregor. Gregor. Greg or Greg or what? Greg or nothing. I don't want him to stay with me out of guilt. But I'd take that over him not staying with me at all. 11 p.m. Brighton Beach. Smell of salt water, bonfire, rancid hot dog wrappers. Gregor is waiting for me outside the Airbnb, sitting on the stoop. Apparently I have the keys. He follows me out to the beach, talking about how he got the book deal. The water looks black, and the sky in the distance, beyond the pink lights of the Coney Island Ferris wheel, also looks black. There's no horizon line, or maybe that's just how it seems without my contacts. I don't stop. I walk straight into the water. Gregor follows me in. I lose my sandal and keep walking until the sand turns rocky and the water is up to my waist. He tries to pull me back towards him, but I keep walking until the water is up to my chin. Every crest, every wave, looks like a fin or a tail. Gregor grabs my ankle, grabs my wrist. I cough water. We don't have to move back here, Gregor says. You don't have to paint. What do you want from me? I tell him I know about the illustrator. He turns and wades back towards shore. Nothing happened yet, he says, not looking back at me. Wednesday, 8am. Airbnb. No smell. I think I'm coming down with a cold. I woke up to the sound of rain. Gregor wasn't here, but the toilet bowl was full of his hair. I fell back asleep, and when I wake up, he is lying on his side facing me, clean-shaven, the negative space of a beard on his tan, remorseful face. No smell.
1: That was The Smell Journal, written by Katya Apikina. It was performed by Nisha Coleman. At the beginning of the show you heard Perfect Woman, produced and mixed by Jess Shane. The teenage punster you heard at the beginning of today's show was Tracy Wong. Special thanks to Vanier College. Love Me is produced, edited, and mixed by Mirabert Wentonic and Crystal Duham.
2: More like Mirabert Gin Tonic and Crystal the Pistol Duham.
1: <laughs> Original theme music by Tim Kingsbury. Tim is a member of Arcade Fire and Sam Patch. Check out Sam Patch's latest release, Yeah You and I at sampatchmusic.com. Scoring music by Murray Lightburn. Murray is a member of The Deers. Check out their latest release, Times Infinity Volume 2, at thedeers.org. This episode also featured music by Chris Zabriskie. Subscribe to the podcast at cbc.ca slash loveme or through your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much for listening to Love Me this summer. This is our last episode of the season. You can let us know what you think of the show at loveme@cbc.ca at and you can let everyone else know by writing us a review at Apple Podcasts. It would mean a lot to us. Until next time, I'm Lou Olkowski. You
2: know, I feel we're all going to get along like two peas in a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, are you chapstick because you're the bomb? Oh, no. Oh, girl, did you buy your pants on sale? Because they're 100% off at my place. So you really just walk up to strangers with these? This one's mostly used if I, I'm out getting ice cream with a girl. And they will be like, yo, spoon me like your favorite ice
1: cream. <laughs>